to Exodus 16 and see that the people of Israel have reached the end of their hoarded resources. What do we do when we come to the end of our hoarded resources? And our quick answer might be we don't allow our resources to be exasperated. We hoard them. Our cupboards are full. Are we living by the Word of God or by our preparations in our hoarded resources. There is a benefit to have been in the wilderness and living hand to mouth. There's a benefit to living this life hand to mouth that so often we don't realize and understand. Well, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Chapter 16 of Exodus, if you compare with Exodus 12, they've been about one month in the wilderness and they're now leaving the coastal areas of the Red Sea and going into the desolate wilderness. And apparently they've basically exhausted their hoarded resources. For we read, and they took their journey from Elam, where you remember there were 12 wells and 70 palm trees and perhaps a lot more trees a wooded area, an oasis. And all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, probably short for Sinai. doesn't mean sin is iniquity. Which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. You remember they, it was to the 14th day that they, the Passover took place. So it's been about one month since the Exodus. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. And it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, At even then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out from the land of Egypt. And in the morning, then ye shall see the glory of the Lord, for that He heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, for that the Lord heareth your murmurings which ye murmur against Him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. Lessons in the wilderness of life. We all ought to read the Scriptures with the idea that they are of universal application. It's not 
what did Israel learn, but what can we learn? For this is the Word of God to you and me today. How soon after blessing and answered prayer do we forget to trust the Lord? All too soon, isn't it? Oh, that we could say never. It has been one month since the exodus from Egypt. Israel is leaving the coastal zone, the coastal areas, and going to the wilderness. Food supplies and water resources are all but spent. And you can imagine with perhaps a couple million people and perhaps thousands of of animals, probably mostly kept for milk and cheese, maybe not so much for flesh until they get to the land of Canaan, but still, the animals need to eat as well. Our Heavenly Father knoweth that we have need before we ask Him. What is their reaction to their dire need? As we interpret this, for it doesn't say that they ran out of food, or they ran out of water, but that is the assumption as we hear their response. Their reaction, we would hope, would be they prayed unto the Lord. Or they asked Moses and Aaron to pray unto the Lord. But eight times we read the word murmur or murmuring or murmurings. They complained. What is our response when we have need? When our hoarded resources are coming to an end? And perhaps again we say, well, you know, we're living in Western society and we're living in, in the United States of America and when's the last time we exhausted our last box of cereal or our last uh, cup of oatmeal or our last half gallon of milk? Or when's the last time we didn't have water from our wells or from Lake Erie? But the Lord is going to give them a pattern of need and supply for 40 years. This is the beginning of the pattern that we will read about and that they'll experience for 40 years. They won't have cupboards. They won't have supply of food for a week at a time. It's going to be every day and twice on the sixth day to, inc- to include the seventh day, the Lord's Day, in that period. Exodus 16 traces the experience of the wilderness in a nutshell. Basically, we see three things We need the Lord to supply our need. Give us this day our daily bread. And isn't this what the Lord was referring to when He taught us to pray? And we don't read in the New Testament, oh, you don't need to pray, give us this day our daily bread. That was just for the Old Testament saints. But I wonder if we don't say this out loud, Lord, why are you asking us to pray that? We've got all the food we want in our cupboards and in the refrigerator. Why do we need to pray, give us this day our daily bread? Secondly, the Lord will provide what we need or what we ask for. And you have the, the, uh, the manna and what it represents from what Jesus says that we read together earlier. 
This is the first occurrence of manna. Really the main occurrence. You have a, a few uh, descriptions in Numbers chapter 11 for a few verses. The Lord will provide. And so really you have Jehovah Jireh as a focus here. The Lord will provide. And thirdly, we need to worship the Lord who satisfies our need. You have the Sabbath day mentioned for the first time in Scripture. It's called the seventh day, or in uh, in uh, and that they rested, and the Lord rested. But it's the first time that we really have the word Sabbath as a description of that one day in seven that is devoted to the Lord. So if you have three alliterative words as a division, as divisions, you have the want, you have the wafer that it's described as, and you have the worship. And this is the, this is the, the pattern that they're going to experience for 40 years. It's a description of, of really what the Lord wants us to focus on in our wilderness wanderings. We need, we need, we are dependent. And the Lord supplies our need. And we are to worship Him because He is our Creator, our providential ruler, our Lord. And this repetition was to be, a, be lessons for them in the wilderness of life. The first, first thing you see dominant is the Lord made them want. He could have, he could have given them a weak supply. He could have given them a month's supply. But they, they come into the wilderness and what do you expect when you're traveling in the wilderness? No water. No food. It shouldn't have been a, a surprise to them. He didn't take them up the way of the Philistines, the, the, the shortcut into the land of Canaan. He knew what was in their heart. They would have plenty of food perhaps if the Philistines had shared. But two million people are hard to, to uh, be hospitable for when they're inhospitable people. But what do we expect in the wilderness? What do we expect in this wilderness, brother and sister? An oasis everywhere we go? Wells full of water? Olive trees and stores with all kinds of shelves full? We read, need need, hunger, thirst. From now on, it's going to be hand to mouth. That's my decree. But Lord, we want to have an assurance. We sat by the flesh pot. Now they may be overstating what took place. And isn't it so, when we start complaining about our lot, even as Christians, sometimes we look back and it's a sin in our part we over-exaggerate. We think it was a lot. It may have been better in the days when we were lost. The devil sometimes makes us think back. Remember those days when you didn't have a, a, a concern in the world. Remember all the happy times you had. Now you're weeping and crying over over this and that and the burdens that you feel. Remember how nice it was back then. Isn't God a hard taskmaster? That's what's happening here. The devil is getting in their craw. But the Lord meant this. 
He meant them to feel their dependence. He meant that He would remove all their props, casting all their care upon Him, for He cared for them. I'm not making this up. Look in, look in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And Jesus quoted this text. He quoted in Deuteronomy in the wilderness temptations. He went to the wilderness, remember. Is that not on purpose? Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Beginning with verse 2, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness. Notice, to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or no. And He humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know that He might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. You see that? It was on purpose that He made them thirsty and hungry. And it's easy for you and me when we're thirsty, we just go into the refrigerator or, or, or go to the sink. We have our water bottles. We have everything at our fingertips. When we're hungry, well, we just can get some something to satisfy our need. But they had to wait until the morning and go out and get it before the sun waxed hot. So it caused the lazy ones to become diligent. You know, if you're not going to get food... Now, there, Proverbs talks about even the lazy person won't even bring up his spoon to his mouth. But they didn't last long in the wilderness if they didn't go out and find food, find the, the manna. But the point here is that He made them feel their want. He made them feel their want. He facilitated a felt need. He was slaying their self-sufficiency. They would rather have their slave life, apparently. They were slaves by the flesh pots. They had some variety in Egypt. Now, were they not overstating the fact that they could eat all that they want? Maybe not. But the Lord was teaching them that the source of life is in God and in His Word. That day by day they have to wait upon the Word of God for their supply. That's the point. Man does not live by bread alone. We act like brute beasts. We just get our food and get our, and we're not asking the Lord for it. That's why the Jesus taught us, look, don't just pull your food out of your cupboards and, uh, and your drink out of the refrigerator and just eat and drink. Bow your head and say, oh Lord, thank you. Thank you that we have such a country with such plenty. Thank you for the farmers. Thank you for the truck drivers. Thank you for the variety of food. Thank you for the fertile ground. Thank you for the skies that drop our rain. Thank you, Lord. I don't want to depend on the cupboards being full and the wells being full of water. I want to have that 
constant interaction with God. That's the point. Give me this day my daily bread. But the Lord was lifting them higher as Jesus taught. He wanted them to feel their physical need, but notice He didn't say that man does live by bread alone. He took it to a higher level. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. And so He was teaching them that this food He was bringing them was representative of their spiritual need that they had. Their spiritual need. They are in the wilderness spiritually as well as physically. He wanted them to hunger and thirst after God and not just after food and water. He wants us to feel that we're spiritually bereft and to to totally agree with the statement, blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. But yet there are many people today that feel their physical and hunger and thirst and they've eaten breakfast and they're now eating lunch and they'll eat dinner. But they never realize they're starving spiritually and never seek the bread of heaven and the water of life. Do you wonder why the stadiums are full today and the malls are full today and golf courses in good weather are full today, but there are empty pews in many living churches. You long for souls like the prodigal. He was hunky-dory until the Lord made him feel his need. And he started to feed the pigs and, and sought to even eat the food that the pigs were eating. But that one statement, remember it? He came to himself. What am I doing here? I'm needy. I'm needy spiritually. And that's our prayer that someone in this wilderness today, in this area, will say, I am spiritually bankrupt. I am spiritually hungry and thirsty. I'm lost. How can I get the bread of life? And then they go to the Bible or they turn on a radio broadcast of of the preaching of the Gospel. Or they wander in a church that preaches the truth. All the people would say like the disciples on the boat, save us, we perish! Or Luke, remember the the man in in the temple that wouldn't go close to the front, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and said, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. We live by God's Word and providence. That's the point. The lesson to be learned is I need the Lord. And you know when you and I backslide, we don't feel our need of the Lord. We rush our Bible reading. We rush our prayer time. Or we eliminate it altogether. We don't sit and listen and feel we need the Lord. We need the Lord. Public worship isn't as necessary anymore. The fellowship of the saints. Because we're self-sufficient. We take, we take substitutes. 
for the real thing. We're satisfied with our physical needs being met, but we're numb to our spiritual bankruptcy and hunger and thirst. Oh, may God give us a revival of soul thirst and soul hunger in the church of Christ. And maybe He'll bring it when we have to live hand to mouth physically. It won't be such a bad thing if the store shelves are empty. And He brings a drought to western New York. You know, this pandemic wasn't all that bad, was it? For us to start thinking about eternity. Thinking about our dependence on God. Being our doctor as well as our provider. Interestingly, at this point, he doesn't get mad at them. There's no anger here. He just answers them with their need. But he's going to get angry as time goes on, as they haven't learned their lesson. But how does the Lord answer their, their need? With what's called manna. Manna, the wafer, not just the want. He's going to make them want throughout this wilderness experience. And you know, that should be our prayers. Lord, make me feel my want. Every day, don't let me wake up and feel I'm full, I'm satisfied. That's how He's made us physically. We can't live on yesterday's store. We wake up and we're hungry and we... We feed ourselves every day. What about spiritually? Are we feeding ourselves? He brings the wafer. Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, verse 4, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day. You notice that. He answers with a miracle from heaven, but they had to go out and get it. He didn't just drop it in front of every tent. He could have done that. I mean, there's so many miracles here that he does with a man. Not only dropping it from heaven, but making sure that there was sufficient amount for everybody, every individual. And then he would make sure that it would not be there any longer once the sun waxed hot. And then if they kept it overnight, it bred worms and stank. And then... The sixth day, he gave them twice as much, and it didn't stink on the. I mean, think of all the miracles that he's. This this is not some kind of hocus pocus. What is it? They said, literally, manna. They're, they were called wafers in verse thirty-one, or flat cakes like honey. They could bake it, or they could seethe it or boil it. In Numbers, it says it tasted like like uh, oil that was cooked. I mean, it, it was tremendous. How could I? How can you describe something like that? I mean, t- honey was the way that they sweetened things in those days. They didn't have the granules sugar that we have, and honey was was wonderful. So he gave them honey in the wilderness for forty years. Multiply 40 times 365. Talk about the power of God 
every single day? Some describe what it might have looked like as a sheet of wax, but and they kind of had to crack it apart and gather what they wanted. I don't know if that's what, or were they just all millions of individual wafers? But it's like a sheet, perhaps, and you go out there and you just start to break it apart, and and you put enough, you get what about whatever two liters per person. And there's even a miracle here that some seem to gather more and some less than what technically they needed. But yet when they got to their tents, the one that had more didn't have too much, just enough. And the one that didn't have enough had enough. No, they didn't have to share. They say, well, I took too much. It's just the way the Lord worked it out. It tasted like fresh oil, we're told in Numbers 11, 8, like coriander or spicy seed. Just a combination of tastes. Perhaps there are different tastes in each wafer, each piece of manna that they had for 40 years until the, until they entered the land of Canaan, Joshua chapter 5. But take it again to a, to a higher level. Jesus is pictured by the manna. We begin to hunger and thirst after God, after truth, after salvation, after some, some way in which our sin burden can be lifted. And this is what this manna represented. It was a prophetic type of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it comes from heaven. We didn't dream it up. We didn't work it up. We didn't produce it. Jesus says in verse 33, For the bread of God is He which cometh down from heaven and giveth life to the world. And our prayer should be therefore, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus answers again, John 6.35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. 38, I I came down from heaven. 48, I am the bread of life. 50, this is the bread that that cometh down from heaven, that if a man eat, he shall never die. 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. 54, whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. In other words, God meant that the physical experiences would mirror the spiritual experiences. Man feels his hunger and thirst pains, but he's still dead in his trespasses and sins. He's still dead to God. God has to make him feel his spiritual hunger and thirst pains. And we pray, make me feel my need. Make me feel my need. can remember beginning to feel the fear of death as a teenager. Where am I going to go if I die? Where are my parents going to go if they die? Who brings those thoughts to your mind? I need, I have a soul need now, not just my physical need. Make me feel my need. Oh sinner, do you feel your need of forgiveness? Do you feel your need that guilt? You have a guilt? What are you going to do with your guilt? 
The atheist can't answer that. The agnostic. The reincarnationist. The soul sleeper. What are you going to do with your guilt? You have eternity in your heart that only God can fill. What does He say to them? Just wait for it to come. Go out and gather it. 16.4 Gather. Take. Gather. 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 We have those words. And they gathered. We don't bat an eye to say, not to say, come to Christ. Get to Christ. The hyper-Calvinist says, no, we just wait for it to happen when Jesus is all who come unto Me, I will in no wise cast out. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. He has provided salvation and He doesn't tell the sinner to just wait until it happens. Fold your arms. No. Flee to Christ. Flee from the wrath to come. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He is the bread that's come down from heaven. If you don't feel your need of Him, there's no way that a person will be saved until they feel their need of Him. He makes us feel our need. He awakens us from wrath to flee. He makes us feel our want and He supplies our want with the manna, with the bread from heaven. Jesus is the one who takes away our sins. He's the one that removes our guilt. He loved us with an everlasting love. It's His love. It's God's love that sent manna from heaven for His people. And were there not people as they gathered the man and said, this represents something higher, something spiritual, does it not? And there were teachers in the camp, Moses and Aaron, did, were they not understanding? Were they not taught of God? Do you not see why God is letting us live hand to mouth? Do you not see that God has made us feel our need of Him? And so are we spiritual beings. We're sinners. We need to feel that we're sinners. We're guilty. We're condemned. But God has come in a miraculous way and sent us physical bread from heaven that represents the spiritual bread that we desperately need. And later He's going to have Moses strike the rock as a picture of Christ, the rock being struck for you and me. That's how we get bread and water by Christ being struck for us. What a striking He felt at Calvary. The Israelites or the Egyptians were struck by plagues and perished. Jesus was struck to die for us so that we might live. Is that the end of the lessons? Does the Lord just save us and leave us with a hope for heaven? 
Do you notice how the Sabbath is brought in like manna for the first time in Scripture? The word Sabbath, chapter 16. Before the giving of the law in chapter 20. There are those that say, well, the, the law was given at Sinai. They didn't know anything about the Sabbath until now. When yet it's a creation institution. The first institution in the Bible is religious in nature. It's the Sabbath day. Work comes after that and marriage. Those three institutions. But it was Adam worshiping the first full day that he had on the earth was the Lord's day. God taught him, Adam, seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness. Adam and Eve, if Eve indeed was created on the sixth day, both of them, their first full day on earth was a worship day. And this is what he's teaching the Israelites. You're not about just work, eat, and sleep. You're not about like the brute beasts. The hint is given. Now, he doesn't go into the purpose of the Lord's Day so much as in chapter 20 and beyond and into the New Testament. But the hint is verse 5 of chapter 16. On the sixth day they shall prepare that which they may bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. 22, the people gather double and the rulers complain. Now, we're not exactly sure, but it's interesting. The people gather twice on the the day before the Sabbath or the Lord's Day. And the rulers seem to complain to Moses. And we have to interpret why are they reporting or gossiping about the people about gathering twice on... And there are different takes on this, but it may be that the rulers weren't as knowledgeable about these things as the people. And there are times that leaders in the church have to be taught of the people in the church because we're ignorant. we're, We're edifying one another. We're teaching one another. Or they just wanted clarification. That things were being done right. We're not exactly sure of the point, but the people are getting it. In verse 23, tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Literally, tomorrow is the Sabbath of the Sabbath. The holy Sabbath unto the Lord. And then in verse 26, it's called the Sabbath again. And the thing that we note is that this occurred some time before the actual giving of the Ten Commandments, which occurs later in chapter 20. It's before the giving of the law, which tells us that it was not merely given to Israel. The knowledge of this has been with them. It's just in Egypt, it wasn't kept formally because they weren't allowed to as slaves. But the spiritual ones understood that it came from creation, not from Sinai. It was not for Israel. The Sabbath was made for man, not for the Jew only. That's what Jesus said. And He's the Lord of the Sabbath day. It was a creation institution, a creation ordinance. The Sabbath represents worship. Marriage represents the family and society. And work represents the means to get our provisions and and, and how to exchange 
in society. Later, the Sabbath usage will be laid out. Rest, worship, and service. Appropriate works of, of piety, works of mercy, and works of necessity. But the Lord is teaching them you need time to worship. The first four commandments, especially man's relationship to God, number one, who were to worship, thou shalt, thou shalt not have any other gods before me, or thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. The second commandment, how shall we worship? Not with graven images, but worship according to my plans, my directions. So he teach, tells us you worship by prayer, you worship by meditation, you worship by preaching, you worship by giving, and so on. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. The third commandment, why we worship Him, He's holy. We don't take His name in vain. And the fourth commandment, particularly when we worship Him. And you hear the, you hear the antinomians say, I worship God every day. Yet you don't complain if you have a birthday, especially for someone, or an anniversary day, or a graduation day, or a Christmas day. And that's for human beings once a year. Does not the God of glory deserve one day in seven? And not one day in 365? Do we not need time to focus and pour out our hearts to Him? We're so busy and the devil just overwhelms us with the things of this world and we say it's time to shut the world out and to seek the Lord. And we say, okay, we'll give Him an hour. It doesn't say, remember the Sabbath hour. It says day. One in seven devoted to the Creator of the week. Take time to be holy is the point. He's saying to the Israelites, I have made you feel your need. I have supplied your need. Worship me. And here's especially the time I want you to worship. I'm going to give you double. So you don't have to go out and gather it. And he didn't mean stay in your tents as if that's all they did. The point was don't go out and gather food. There are going to be teachers in the camp. You're going to fellowship. You're going to hear God's Word. That's the point. The day is focused on religious things. And to block the world out. Worship the One who creates our want and supplies our need and supplies our Savior, the Savior of the world. So you have three things in this chapter, three lessons in this wilderness of life. Hunger, manna, and the Sabbath. Those are the three things in this chapter. Do we experience them? I'm hungry. I'm hungry for the truth. The manna is my supply. Jesus is the Savior of the world. And He deserves my worship. And I give Him the day that He says, set aside. You have six days that you may work and play, but worship on the seventh day. And the world says, no. We will open our malls and we will open our stadiums. We will open our stores. We don't want the Christian to worship. We don't want God to hem us in. As Philip said in his, his interpretation of, of Romans 12, 
Not, be not conformed to this world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. May God squeeze us into His mold. It's a mold that sets us for eternity. It's a mold that is the form of Christ where we let our light shine before men that He might see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. A Sabbathless church is a weak church. Western Christianity is weak at best. We have jettisoned the Sabbath. We have let the devil interpret how we should spend the Lord's Day. No wonder why we have given place to the devil. No wonder why we're weak and needy. And the Lord is coming, bringing it back. Feel your need of me. Feel your weakness. Feel your need of godliness. Feel that you need me desperately. Lord, evermore give us this bread. And he says, I give you this bread. Now, worship me as I have commanded you. And his commandments are not burdensome. They free us. They free us from the burdens and cares of this world.